Hi, I'm Debbie Georgianis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Biden sticks the taxpayers with student loan debt, Jeremy Adams, author of Hollowed Out, a warning about America's next generation, joins me. Great book. You don't want to miss this interview. Uh, no Flying for You, Katie Hopkins' latest video, which is wonderful, plus what she's talking about. And of course, today is Q&A Wednesday. So those of you who email questions, I'll probably only get to one, but I have one question asked many times. So I'll get that one question on Q&A Wednesday. And that my very fine friends, we're ready to roll on America Can We Talk. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. President Biden, or he who was inaugurated on January 20th, Biden, it gave an announcement today, announced a long-anticipated decision that he is going to give some further student debt relief uh, to America's students who have incurred some or major debt as they went off to college. I know we've talked about this topic many times before. I'm going to hit three quick points in this first five. Number one, I got into a little bit of a Twitter fuss with somebody who was trying to say, why are all the conservatives complaining? Because this is just government money. You're not paying for anything. What do you care if this uh, president uh, gives a little break to students? They have really big debt. What are you gonna, and I, you know, I entered the fray, of course, as many did, just saying the government doesn't have any money. The government never has any money. The government is just all the money they've ever had since time began in America they have because they've either absconded with it by force or they have gained it by force from individuals or businesses who work to make money. So everything the government does, every debt they cancel, every expenditure, it always falls on the taxpayers. The utter inequity, unfairness of this to people who chose, for example, as I did, college and law school, I took out some loans, I had to work two jobs, all the time, undergrad and law school, I'm not mad about it. It was what my parents could afford, which wasn't, they couldn't afford to send me. So this is what the mentality was uh, for many decades. We've somehow gotten to this era where, because young people chose to go off to college and endure, uh, just decided to go to the best school they thought was the best school they got into and, and um, absorb a bunch of debt, that somehow they can't be responsible. But where this falls, where this debt falls on, is all those families who acted responsibly, who actually pay taxes, who actually work hard, who plan for the way they would educate their children. The burden of Biden's decision to give uh, loan forgiveness to some uh, portion of the young people who have student loan debt, it always falls on the American people, especially on the people who didn't decide to and take on a big debt, who did other things like work two jobs, go to school, all the kind of things that, that many responsible parents did, or didn't go to school at all. Uh, second, just to be uh, point on this, just so you understand the depth of this unfairness, is that uh, from an analysis in the University of Pennsylvania that came out yesterday, this bailout, this wide-ranging bailout, will essentially end up costing American taxpayers somewhere between, this is a very big range, I understand, 300 or 980 billion, and essentially, between basically 70% of that debt forgiven accrues to households in the top 60% of the income distribution. Let me say in plain English, rich people make off better. Rich people are the biggest beneficiaries of this student loan forgiveness. It's not like he's helping poor people. He's not. He's helping rich people. And I'm not mad at rich people. I'm in favor of free markets. I'm in favor of capitalism. I love it. But I don't think that this this whole notion that somehow he's rescuing the poor is not the 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 burden of what this program he has created. The burden will fall, and the uh, the benefit will fall to the wealthy, and the burden on the unfortunate taxpayers who simply eventually someday are going to have to accrue. Last point is, it is just pitiful. Third point on this this student loan debt decision is it is pitiful 
and sad beyond words that this is a this is calculus this is a calculation by the left in Washington that they will hold on to and, and perhaps expand the voting base among young voters who are the recipients of this largesse. People who had a big loan debt and somehow has been reduced by this, they are going to, in the calculation of the Democrat Party, decide I should vote Democrat. Got that swell guy Joe Biden gave me a break on my uh, my debt, and therefore, you know, they they come around. I mean, as as virtually everything the uh, left does in America, their calculation is how do we buy votes? How do we buy votes? This is Biden just buying votes for the American taxpayers' dollars buying votes of young people who feel all of a sudden freed or all of a sudden the, the beneficiary of this great kindness out of Biden. And really it isn't him at all. It isn't his, in his administration. It's the American taxpayers. Not a good day, not a good decision. Many people ought to be protesting. Actually, big constitutional question of whether or not Joe Biden has the authority to do this. He did this via executive order. Let us hope there is a constitutional challenge whether or not he can actually do that. I think it's actually, I read a little bit of the summaries. Um, I, I love reading legal stuff that other people don't. I read a little bit this morning. I'm not ready to say I feel sure about it, but I do think there's a serious constitutional argument about whether or not he even had the authority to do this. If he didn't have the authority, Please let some court have the bravery to strike it down. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So as you can see, I'm doing my show from California still. This is our last show uh, from California. Uh, be back in studio uh, next week. But, and we're doing our show tomorrow, our very special Thursday show. We have Dr. Peter Gre uh, Bregan joining us. You will love, love, love this guy. Brilliant guy. A, um, just just, just a, a stellar uh, doctor, researcher, and... and um, What's a good word? Uh, truly, he brings the moral dimension to many aspects of medicine. But right now, we're going to turn our show today, talking to our guest. We have him available via Skype. So glad he was available. Uh, his name is Jeremy Adams. I'm going to show you the book that he wrote. Uh, is, is, this is okay. Yeah, there we go. This is the book that he wrote. Um, I did order on Amazon, as you can as well. And in our show notes today on AmericaCanWeTalk.org, if you're on the homepage under show, drop down list of links. I put the link to ordering this. This book is called Hollowed Out. Hollowed Out, a warning about America's next generation uh, by Jeremy Adams. He's a current uh, teacher here in the state of California and uh, writing really about the state of young people in America today and the students he encounters and what he observes about their um, about many things about them, their capacity to uh, learn, to listen, to absorb, to do the things we all hope uh, students do. So well, welcome to the show, Jeremy Adams. Excited to be here. Thank you for joining me. So glad you could do it. And I know you are actually, you are teaching today. You're in California. You're a, you're a public school teacher and you're teaching today, right? I am. This is my lunch break and it's hot here in the Central Valley. So I'm sweating it out, but I'm thrilled to be here. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. It's so hot there. Yeah. Um, being from Texas, I can relate. Well, I want to dive right in. I know your book actually came out last year, maybe the year before, but is newly released as a, as a soft, as a, not a hardcover, soft cover. And uh, a mutual friend connected me with you, uh, telling me how great this book was. And I'll tell you, uh, Jeremy, I actually read about your book many times, read summaries, I've got to get this guy's book. And uh, now I've actually had a chance to look through it. So uh, I'll start by saying, um, there's a lot of um, self-analysis going on in America to uh, essentially about the idea what have we done with the next generation? What are the changes that have been made in America over time done to the next generation in terms of how they think about themselves, how they function in the world? Um, you had at the start of every chapter, you have a great quote by Leo, uh, Leo Tolstoy, um, which I, I love Tolstoy. But I want you to start with one quick thing you said in the beginning, let you rock and roll from there. You talk about the great concern you have about young people today uh, in America um, and this, the observations you make about students in America and you use the expression, they are, they essentially have, have hollowed out selves. What are you talking about? Yeah, um, thank you for having me on. And uh, essentially what I'm talking about is the fact that when you, when you think about all the things in, in, in human life and in American life that typically give us a sense of meaning and purpose, uh, things like loyalty to your family, marriage, children, love of country, love of God, friendship, learning, uh, all of these things that essentially fill in the human soul and allow us to 
you know, experience a kind of flourishing and contentment and grandeur. Uh, all of these things that I've kind of always taken for granted my whole life, Debbie, um, in the last five to eight years, these things are simply not present in the lives of our young people. Uh, I mean, this is the thing is that, you know, our friends on the left will say that anybody who writes a book like this where they're just cranky and they're a curmudgeon. Um, first of all, I'm too young to be a curmudgeon. But <laughs> But second of all, you know what I would say is I've been teaching for 25 years, right? So when you've been teaching for a quarter of a century, when there's a sudden pivot, when there's a colossal chasm separating these kids from this part of my career and these kids, I'm in a position to notice it. And so I'm not making this stuff up. The young people who are sitting in my classroom today are the most unhappy Americans in our history. Uh, when you look at rates of self-harm, anxiety, suicide, isolation, loneliness, this isn't happening for no reason. And, and the reason why I write this book with so much passion and the reason why I'm so effusive about my message is because I, I really do believe that the one big benefit that teachers have that com maybe common people don't is that we do see, see things a little bit earlier. You know, we're in the trenches. We see the kind of embryonic state of, of, of the problem. And so I'm waving my hands out here saying, look, the behaviors and the values that typically lead people to meaningful lives are not present in our young people. It's not a political statement. It's a moral and intellectual statement. You also make the point early on in the book that when you have lamented to friends about things you observe in the classrooms, some friends kind of go, well, yeah, young people, you know, they'll grow out of it. But when you make these same observations to teachers and others who are also in the classroom as you are, they know what you're talking about. So the, at least among some segment of America's teachers, we are able to, they are able to agree with you to the, your assessment that we're seeing a, a whole, uh, and I, I want to dive into a lot of the points you make about what exactly is going on among our young people, but it's kind of a self-absorption. It's a, an inability to, uh, to even care about being tied to the bigger ideas that we used to think made America great, made people great, made your life have meaning. They just don't seem to care. So where did this all come from? Where did this big change come from? Yeah, uh, great question. I mean, the big theory, the big article, the kind of argument I'm making in the book is that our young people are essentially victims of a culture of radical individualism. And when I say radical individualism, you know, I don't want I don't want people to misunderstand what I mean by that. There, of course, I'm not talking about the good kind of individualism, the individualism that is powered by American claims of individual liberty. I'm talking of kind of individualism that says that we essentially should use our freedom not to connect to things and places and ideas, but to not connect at all. Instead of the freedom to do something, they misunderstand it as the freedom from doing something. So when I think in my own life about why is freedom so important, I think about the fact that I'm free to marry and love whoever I want. I'm free to pursue whatever dreams I have. I'm free to worship whatever God I have or speak out about whatever belief I have. But the point is I use my freedom to connect to things and to places and to people and to convictions that give my individual life purpose and meaning. When you look at the way that young people see it, they see individualism and individual liberty very differently. Um, they see it as, you know, when you connect to something, that requires responsibility. So when you look at the fact that young people aren't getting married, you see that they don't want to have children. Uh, you see that we have historically low birth rates. Uh, don't I mean, if you want to get started about patriotism, the fact that they're not connected to their country and to the extraordinary history and opportunities that they have because of the people who came before them, there is this real hesitation to connect themselves to the, you know, to the polity of America itself because it obligates them to defend it and to renew it. All of these things are, are essentially severing them from the important connections of life. And, and again, what about religion? Um, you know, it, it's none of my business. It's none of my business. Uh, what about religiously, but what bothers me? They don't even know anything about religion. Like literally the level of ignorance about what the different major religions of the world teach about the human condition are simply not available to them. They simply don't know much about it. You know, it's interesting. I do want to get to the political aspect of this because this is part of what I'm going to talk in my next segment a little bit about uh, critical race theory being uh, parents pushing back against it, parents trying to elect school board members who will not embrace it. And yet at the same time, the uh, academia, many aspects of academia keep pushing it in more subtle form. So there's a, a political 
um, and, and CRT has as its root just disdain for this notion of America's founding idea of all men created equal and just kind of uh, pigeonholing people into a racial identity. And that is your entire meaning in life. That's who you are. But back before we get to that, uh, you use an expression here. Um, you talked about the um, there's young people, you're speaking young people, once freed from all markers of permanence, nature, God, biology, custom, and relieved from the search for truth, young people are infinitely free to recreate, redesign, reimagine life as they want it to be with only one unapologetic concern, what do I want? And that is, I think that is so profound. And so, I mean, it's jarring to think about, but it's so profound to recognize because that came in part from what our society had our kind of pushing society over the last several decades to honor children and 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 treat them as other individuals and listen to what they think listen to what they say to the exclusion of the reality so they can say today you know uh, even though they're clearly a boy I, I'm a girl I mean I'll go well I guess that's what they said they have no tethering to truth so it's not necessarily the schools that have instilled this issue we're talking about it's culture that instilled it in students that you're not dealing with them. Is that right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you make a lot of great points there. The one thing I would say though, is that, you know, young people, I mean, let me be very clear. I don't blame young people for these, these problems. It's, it's us, it's the adults. Uh, young people do not have any control over the culture into which they've been born and they've been reared. Um, the adults have really failed our young people. And, you know, I, I think culture is kind of like water to a fish. Uh, fish have no idea what water is. It's just their baseline of normalcy. And I think that's essentially what nihilism and moral relativism is to young people. Um, that uh, you know, their, their view is that the highest good is not truth, it's tolerance. Uh, the highest good is not justice, it's empathy. And, and so to many of them, you know, they use, they use weird expressions like living your truth, which I think to you and me, we would say things like, well, if you're living your truth, it's not truth at all. But what it reveals, Debbie, is a radical subjectivism is in the way that they look at their lives and their world. And if you believe that there is no objective truth, if you believe that there is no divine reality, if you don't believe in a transcendent sense of ethics, if you don't believe in a kind of Jeffersonian justice, if you believe that all of these things are just constructs, um, if you believe that they're just, uh, you know, camouflaged power structures and power relationships, then the best that you're going to do in your life is simply use your power to promote your own whims and desires and appetites. That's the best that you can possibly do if that's the worldview that you have. Um, you know, Aristotle said that the purpose of life is not merely to live, but to live well. And I think there's a kind of chasm between my generation, your generation versus young people today. You and I look at living well as trying to answer the big questions of life, trying to do big things, think mighty thoughts, feel extraordinary emotions, trying to make something of this life that we have, um, to really try and be honorable and righteous people. But we don't feel like it's subjective. We feel like there is, you know, that there is a, a meaning and a purpose and an order of life and, and that meaningful lives are connected to that. Young people are very Nietzschean, right? They believe that they have to create their own good. They have to create their own definitions. And, and if you believe that, then it really explains a lot of what, why they look at things the way they look at. And, and by the way, I want to say something that you said that was so great. I think the number one problem we have, and I know we have limited time here, the number one problem we have, you put your finger on it. Let us stop celebrating childhood as a source of moral authority. The adults in our society have got to start adulting again. You want to know what's wrong with the young people? It's not the young people. It's the older people. We have untethered an entire generation from adult values, adult expectations, adult behaviors. We've given them cell phones and they're on cell phones for nine or 10 hours a day. And what are they absorbing, Debbie? They're absorbing TikToks and memes and YouTube videos made by, you guessed it, other children. I mean, we, are having, we have a generation that is suffering from an extreme lack of adult role modeling. I mean, it's kind of a weird world we live in now where I have to say this, but I have to say this. Young people have to be raised. Young people need to be shown the way. You know, as human beings, we learn by example, and we are either improved or depraved by the examples before us. Well, we have stopped being exemplars for our young people, and you see the results in their value system and in their misery. That's why I wrote the book. 
Okay, Jeremy Adams, I know that you actually, because you are actually teaching you to go off to teaching again. Quickly for our radio listeners, this is Debbie George Adams. My show is America Can We Talk. You can listen to all past shows, interviews, read our blog posts, read our Why It Matters features at americacanwetalk.org. You're going off to a station identification break at the bottom of the hour, back in three minutes. I'll still be here, but Jeremy Adams will probably not still be here because he has to go teach his students. But uh, we're speaking to Jeremy Adams, hollowed out, the author of Hollowed Out, a warning about America's next generation. I think I failed to say this on air. You are such a good writer. I mean, you really uh, have, have uh, truly a great, and I love writing and I love reading. It's a great, great book and, and really insightful book. I know I need to let you go in a minute, but so I, I'd love you to leave with some message of hope. So how do we get out of this mess? Yeah, we absolutely have to put ourselves back in the physical, moral, and political spaces of our young people. Uh, we need to make sure that they are mentored. We need to make sure, I mean, there's a whole section in the book about how young people don't eat meals with adults anymore. They don't oh, I to, saw that. Yeah, they don't, you know, I used the term, the family meal, two or three years ago, and they had no idea what I was talking about. Um, you know, we don't go to church together. They don't go to football games. We don't even, we don't even watch TV together anymore because everybody has their own individualistic device. Parents watch what they want to watch. Kids watch what they want to watch. We teachers are now seen as friends. We're now seen as kind of uh, pseudo parents. No, the adults have got to literally step into the role that they were designed to. You, we are not the friends of our children. We can be friendly, be loving, but they need guidance. And that would be my message uh, beyond just please buy the book, call it out. I think I really do. It is, it is a warning about our next generation, but hopefully it ends on a positive note. This is America. We can always write the course of this ship. Agency is what powers us. We can do this. Amen. I love it. And tied to what you just said for just one quick moment. You know, the idea that uh, this, I've forgotten who the expert was, talked about the distinction between being alone versus loneliness. And the loneliness thing comes from not feeling connected. And this whole idea, not feeling a human interaction, fondness, uh, care and compassion, both giving it and receiving it, that human connection, it is integral what's a good word, integral to life, to your soul, to your meaning, to feel that. But when you are absorbed in your little phone, your little device, and your television show, you don't have that anymore. You don't have a basis to create real closeness. So whether you're alone or you're with friends, you're lonely. Go ahead. Last thought, and I know you got to go. No, no, that's exactly right. And I would say, you know, imagine how, how you would feel about your life if you weren't connected to your family. One out of five millennials say they don't have a good friend in the entire world. Imagine if you didn't believe in any kind of transcendent religious uh, uh, ethics. Imagine if you didn't believe in your country. Imagine if you didn't want to get married. Imagine if you didn't want to have kids. Imagine if you don't read books. You'd be lonely too. And, and that's what we've done to these young people. So it's our responsibility to do something about it. Jeremy Adams, awesome book, awesome interview, way too short. Again, for my friends listening, this is Hollowed Out. You can see it looks like this. Uh, and the subtitle is A Warning About America's Next Generation. I hope to have you on again because this was a rush interview, but great job. Thank you so much for joining me. Love to come on again. Please have me on. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Okay, Bye. folks, so he's actually at school uh, waiting for the bell to ring and kids to come to his classroom, but I'm fortunate enough to grab onto him uh, while we're out here and get him on the show. Um, and I do think these ideas, I was going to tell you, I didn't get a chance, I didn't want to interrupt our short time, but there's a piece I put up on my personal Facebook page by Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey wrote a letter to his grandchildren. And on my personal page, and I may even put it in the show page, he wrote a letter to his grandchildren that touches on some of these ideas, really profound. Okay, I can't read it all right out of time, but really profound letter uh, to his grandchildren. Um, and I will put it up at our America Can We Talk Facebook page. I'll also put it up as a blog post at americacanwetalk.org. I will put it up as a blog post too, because it's, it's advice from Paul Harvey to his grandchildren. What he's really talking about is what parenting and parents need to do um, to connect and to raise young people who are engaged in the world, connected in the world, making relationships, making closeness. It's a profound, uh, these are very profound topics. And I know that in my show quite often, I'm talking about very uh, economic policy and foreign policy and border policy, but this idea of human connection and the cultivation by the, having the adults be the adults and cultivate family and relationships and closeness could not be more important, could not be more important. So uh, related to that very quickly before I'm going to play a quick clip in just a moment uh, by my friend Katie Hopkins. I'm going to wait until our radio listeners are back. But <clears throat> I will tell you very briefly that 
uh, on the subject of the public schools, uh, Jeremy Adams, a public school teacher, um, there is a um, an ongoing battle in this country regarding critical race theory, and he would have been happy to talk about it, but we didn't have time. What I wanted to point out to you is that in elections, when parents are given the choice, do you want to have school board members who either openly or subtly push critical race theory, or do you want that driven out of the schools and critical race theory again, it's all about you're identified as a racial unit and that is your entire identity and meaning of your existence. That's all you are. And that is what the critical race theory proponents are pushing. And the, the uh, parents finally realize, and they're also critical race theory people, utterly, wholeheartedly, 100% reject the goodness and greatness of America. America is an enemy. It is, is, is taught as an enemy. It's taught as, a, as something to be hated. And so critical race theory, when parents finally now woke up to it, are they're voting out the school board members. This happened just yesterday in Florida. Governor DeSantis has been celebrating uh, the school districts in Florida. They got rid of the critical race, the left wing woke ideology people and brought in people who are sane and good people. Uh, and same thing happened in Texas and our recent elections in Texas. And yet I want to tell you just a tiny bit of, of bad news on that point. And I'm going to put this up on our website too. Just because parents are waking up and just because some teachers are trying to help and wake up, please understand the utter determination to push critical race theory in this country is deeply, deeply woven in to the academic establishment in every state in this country and into members of Congress as one good example. And again, I, I, I know we're near the end of August and so you only a little bit of time to respond to this, but in Texas, our own alleged conservative Republican governor, uh, excuse me, senator uh, named John Cornyn, who's never conservative on anything, but John Cornyn is one of the main people pushing a bill. It's now it's August recess. It hasn't gone through yet. The bill is, is deceptively called Civics Secures Democracy Act, CSDA, Civics Secures Democracy Act. John Cornyn is a co-author, and you have to realize how, how subtly and, and evilly uh, deceptive the name is. People have been clamoring for a return to civics and people and young people learning about civics. So they take the word civics and they put it into a bill filled, filled with opportunity and invitation for critical race theory to maintain itself in the public schools in this country. This is John Cornyn pushing it. If you're in the state of Texas, you should be calling his office, call his home office, call his Washington office, email him and argue, tell him that you do not want this bill, which just, and he is, he is committed to misrepresenting his backing of this bill to the people of Texas. And I raise this to say, you can have parents waking up, you can have activists waking up, but you have someone who puts an R by his name and serves the United States Senate pushing a bill that will push, will jam critical race theory down the throats of American students. This is John Cornyn, an alleged Republican. On a similar note here in the great state of Texas, we have the uh, school board, the Texas State uh, Texas Education Association, TEA, is about to adopt a whole bunch of changes, a massive revisions to the social studies standards, many of which, again, feed and support critical race theory. You might think if you're listening to this show from somewhere else, well, that wouldn't happen in Texas. Believe me, it does. It does. And in Texas, again, I'll put this up later on our website. In Texas, you what you can be doing right now is contacting your individual member. You have a representative, it's like you have a, a state rep for where you live, you have a US congressperson, you have a representative for you on the board of the Texas Education Association. You can look up and find out who your representative is, call, email them, and demand that they do not adopt these new standards, the new social studies standards, because they're filled with critical race theory and other woke ideology garbage. Please understand, just because someone has an R by their name does not mean they're standing up for the right ideas in education. Uh, and actually, I'll just quickly tell you, in the great state of Texas, we had just had a very recent election. Uh, no, we had a school board uh, go on, come on board and say, uh, this grapevine, it was the... Grapevine Collieville Independent School District Board finally put a policy in place that no critical race theory and said educators must use the pronoun that matches the student's biology. 
you're, you know, you're a boy, you're a boy, period, full stop, the end. So th there, there are parents and school districts uh, standing up. It takes a tremendous amount of continued sustained pressure on the part of parents in America to stand up and stop critical race theory, stop the LGBTQ agenda, stop the transgender agenda. You have to push in order to win. Okay, I want to play a quick uh, clip for you. Uh, this is Katie Hopkins. And you, if you've been to my summit, she spoke at our first two summits. Um, and she's not speaking this coming one this fall, uh, but she spoke at the first two. Great friend. And she has observed something. I'm going to ask uh, Mr. Wonderful Emilio, who is doing the show for me today, uh, to play a little clip. A it's only a portion of a clip that Katie Hopkins put up on YouTube about the impending effort, the now actually in place effort across Western Europe to begin to limit the right of the average Joe, the average citizen to fly. Let's hear what Katie Hopkins has to say. And I believe that within five years, ordinary people will not have the right to fly in any way that they were used to. And within 10 years, ordinary people will not have the right to fly at all. And there's loads of evidence to support this. And the weird thing is that no one's talking about it and no one's telling you that this is an explicit target driven strategy pushed at some global level as part of the new order of things. Yesterday we heard from British Airways that they are cutting 10,000 flights and in fact many more are being cut as well. There are references to staffing issues which were used as the excuse in the summer, but this isn't about staffing. This is a decision to cut flights according to target driven quotas and this will reflect about 18% of flights being cut and yet no one's really questioning it. People are very happy to just nod along, blame it on staffing issues and talk about the pandemic. But if you just look around, you'll see it's happening in many other places as well. France has banned internal domestic flights if they're less than, I think, two hours long. If there's a train that you could take instead, you now have to take that train. You can't jump on a short haul flight, despite obviously the powerful and the great jumping on their, you know, private jets to go wherever they please. France has banned your freedom to just get on a plane when you want to go somewhere. No one ever asked French people if they wanted this to happen. The ban was just put in place. And in fact, today they've also banned any adverts for fossil fuel. So if you're a supermarket and you might have cheap fuel, you're not allowed to advertise it. In Norway, there's a proposition for individual flight quotas. They also want to stop duty free. They want to ban uh, internal domestic flights, just like France. And they want to remove people's ability to fly more than X number of times per year. So another country with the same program in place. And the one country that is being very clear that this is nothing to do with pandemic, nothing to do with staffing, nothing to do with some scheduling or efficiency is Schiphol in Amsterdam. They are limiting flights to prevent emissions. I mean, the one thing I would say is at least they're being honest about it, but it's really dramatic. They're cutting flights back to 440,000 per year, which is a 20% cut. And it is very easy to see that if the global agenda was 20%, Schiphol, Amsterdam has just gone straight to it and taken that hard line. They are also uh, tripling the passenger tax and the airport charges are going up by 37%. Amsterdam used to be the third most connected international hub right behind Britain and France, and it is decimating itself in order to comply with the global agenda. And it's not just Western Europe. On the comments here, I guarantee there will be people from Canada and New Zealand and Australia and other places saying the same is happening here. We have been signed up to stuff that, were you ever asked about this? Were you ever asked, are you willing to give up your freedom to fly? Are you willing to give up your freedom to go where you want, when you want to go? Did anyone ever ask you? And my second big question, given that Amsterdam is the only one being honest about it, but that our BBC, the British broadcaster responsible for disseminating information, are still prepared to be complicit in the lie that this is just because of staffing or pandemic. 
why is no one talking about this? Where are the journalists? People say to me, oh, Katie, but GB News, where are they? People are still controlled by their bosses, by Murdoch, by whoever's towing the line. No one wants to address the fact that ordinary people will not have the freedom to fly in future. And you were never asked. I got to tell you, folks, I did have a uh, you know, cut off toward the end of that because but she had much more to say. Let me just say why this is relevant to today's show and, and relevant. It should be seen as very, very relevant by you. First, I should mention Katie Hopkins, when she was in America, I don't remember when it was, several months ago, she was on my show. And one thing she talked about was within a few years within the UK, where she still lives, ordinary people will not be able to own cars. You will not own a car. The government is slowly through its policies, uh, increasing requirements with respect to emissions, increasing requirements with respect to, you know, how many miles per gallon your car get, uh, pressuring, taxing, pushing people first for electric vehicles, but ultimately through not being able to, the people being pushed so that they cannot own a vehicle at all. And her point was, this is part of the climate alarmism agenda. And instead of just being honest as a country, as a government saying, look, you know, we just because we think climate change is such a real thing, we're going to end your ability to drive a car. You're simply not going to drive a car. You're going to have to take public transportation. And her point then was the government is not forthcoming. They don't tell you that's the reason. They give excuses that many people say, well, you know, it's really just a tax saving measure or it's, a, it's an environmental thing or there's other reason it was passed. This thing what Katie Hopkins was just saying that she foresees a time in the very near future when people will not be to fly anymore i urge you to take her seriously she is very insightful she's traveled the world multiple times she's often discerning trends before they get to be big trends and what she's pointing out all across uk the other countries she mentioned they're announcing for various reasons it's harder more expensive and just basically more limited the capacity of the average person to take a domestic flight and all those people who are the climate alarmist army that has been built around this world really won't seem to care that much. They will see it as, well, something had to be done. We had to stop these uh, jet fuels. You know, we had to stop all these these um, major league, uh, you know, diesel fuel, uh, you know, planes flying around the world. How else are they going to do it? People won't stop flying. We've been encouraging them to stop flying. And they, well, they keep on doing it. People understand this is your freedom at stake. The climate alarmism agenda is being used to take away your freedom, period, full stop, is being used to take away your freedom. It's really important to understand this one point she's making about it that, you know, the, no one in the media reports on it. No one acknowledges it. No one connects the dots. No one explains it except that one, she did, I guess, now the Netherlands announced it in an honest way, said, yeah, we're just trying to cut emissions. Everybody else puts up excuses about staffing or COVID or some other reason because they don't want to tell the people. This is the length, the breadth, the scope of the climate alarmism agenda infesting itself all over the world, and ultimately it will result in the loss of your freedom. As she points out, rich people will still fly around the private jets, but the average Joe, as she's saying, you're not gonna have the ability to fly because there won't be the flights available. And then ultimately, as she says in the UK, you wanna get to drive your car. And you have to understand this exactly where the big climate, alarm, climate alarmism agenda is headed. I'll tell you one last quick thing on this point, and then I will go to my one Q&A Wednesday question I can answer for today. But I also sent um, a, a, a graph to Emilio, wanted him show you this one graph, um, and this relates to the Inflation Reduction Act. And I want to remind you that this was sold by the Democrats, sold by the um, entire establishment in Washington, D.C., and to the American people. Oh, but this is, we're going to have to spend billions of dollars to reduce inflation. And, and, and polls are showing massive majorities of America, they perfectly understand, is not going to reduce inflation. You can't spend more money and reduce inflation. Everyone understands this is an economic lie. And yet those people in power in Washington, D.C., the anti-American left in control of everything, they don't care. 
that they're lying to you. They don't care that that and they don't care that you figured out that the Inflation Reduction Act will never reduce inflation. They pass it anyway. It is a it is a slap across the face to the American people to pass this bill under the guise of reducing inflation. But now look at what it really does. Look at the big green chunk on your screen. For those of you listening on radio, here's what it is. The the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, 580 billion, B as in boy, billion. All that 580 billion, 402 billion, 402 out of the 580 total are all Green New Deal subsidies. They're all about climate alarmism. They're all about the alleged emergency of climate change. And if they had told you that, if your Democrat senator or House member said to you, yeah, we're going to spend $402 billion, we're going to lie and say it's about inflation reduction, but it's really just about more ways to, to fund all of these NGOs, all of these climate alarmist lunatics, $402 billion out of 580 for climate change. Next big chunk divided up in this Inflation Reduction Act is the number of IRS agents, new IRS agents are now going to have to pay, totaling 79 billion, B as in boy, billion. And then Obamacare subsidies, next biggest ticket item in this bill, 64 billion, Medicare spending 25 billion, vaccine seven, and others somehow stuck in their inflation reduction supposedly uh, 2 billion. You can come back to me. I just am making the point. I want you to understand what, what Katie Hopkins is trying to say is that the climate alarmism agenda the, it has so infused the governments of Western Europe, so infused those in power that they'll do anything to move it forward, including take away your freedom to fly. And they won't even tell you that's why they're doing it. They'll come up with some other reason. And the same thing in the United States of America. The climate alarmism agenda has gotten us to the point that they will pass something that everyone with a brain can figure out. The Inflation Reduction Act doesn't reduce any inflation. They know it. We know it. They know. We know. We know. They know. And they just kind of say, but too bad, America. You can't stop us. This is what happens when you have out of control uh, Washington, D.C. spending money like that and, uh, and a completely non-responsive alleged elected represent, representative government. We don't have representative government. We have the left functioning as a totalitarian control over American people, ignoring their needs, ignoring their wishes, refusing to enforce the border, refusing to do all the common, set thing, common sense steps that many people want, but they will find in a year when we're in, you know, we're just in trillions in debt, they'll find a new $402 billion to spend on uh, green, um, the Green New Deal. Okay, one last quick thing before we um, go to why it matters to you. I say I will uh, answer questions. I got actually several people asking the same questions. I'm just jumping to this one question, Q&A Wednesday, is why haven't I commented on Brittany Griner? I'm assuming you know Brittany Griner uh, is a WNBA player, or was, is a WNBA player, and she went through security in the Moscow airport, traveling there for part of an NBA tournament, WNBA tournament, and they discovered uh, marijuana or some illegal substance related to marijuana in her uh, luggage. And Russia, very, very strict about uh, drugs. They, they do not tolerate drugs. Uh, and they and so there have been a lot of people pushing to say we've got to try to get her out. Other people saying, you know, let her rot. And to, to understand who she is, this is a WNBA player who not only, you know, would not would not listen to the national anthem. She kneeled in rejection of the America's national anthem. She actually was quoted as saying previously that she doesn't even think they should play the national anthem. At, at WNBA games. She's so offended by America, by the national anthem, that she doesn't even think they should play it at the games. That's what she thinks. So now she's in prison in Russia. She got sentenced. I saw at one point it said 12 years, not saying nine, but she had a trial. She eventually pled guilty. She was sentenced to nine years in prison in Russia. So now to get around to your question, I do think that in almost every case, America should try to bring home American citizens who are in prison in other countries, but you have varying degrees of how hard you try and, and what you would trade off to do that. I am not sympathetic to her because I think everyone in the WNBA had to have been warned over and over and over and over, don't bring drugs into Russia. Don't do it. 
And she just decided, as many really elite people are in media and sports, that the rules don't really apply to me because, after all, do you know who I am? I, I'm a WNBA player. I don't follow the rules. So it was a very deliberate flaunting by her of the rules, uh, and she knew it ahead of time. So I, she's not sympathetic for that reason. And she is not in, in the case of some people who Americans who are jailed in other countries is not a political prosecution or persecution. It's not like she's wrongly accused. It's not like she was set up. Wasn't she framed? She wasn't framed. She chose to break their laws. So having said all of that, she is not worth trading any serious criminal that we have in America in our jails with the Russians. That was one idea early on. People are saying, you know, this really bad arms dealer who actually caused the death and threatened the lives of many, many people should be the traitor. Like we should give him up so we get Brittany Griner back. No, no, she is not worth that. We do not give up anyone dangerous. I don't really, I also want to say though, I don't think as a country that we want to adopt the policy that says, we aren't going to help bring you back because we don't like your politics, which is really what some people on the conservative side are saying. You know, who cares? She hates America. She doesn't even like the national anthem. Let her rot in prison over there. I don't want to have us adopt that standard that in America, we will not make an effort to bring back somebody, uh, an American citizen, because we dislike their politics. I mean, I don't like her at all. I don't I don't watch WNBA. I find her disdain for America appalling, outrageous horrible. I think she should grovel and apologize to the American people. But I think our country probably should engage in some effort to bring her back uh, without and maybe some trade off as somebody who jaywalked and is in jail in America, but not someone who's created a risk to American uh, to the American people or raised or caused a threat to be made against the American people. It's a you know, it, it's a dicey thing. I, I I bristle a little bit or I cringe a little bit at the postings that saying let her rot. What do we care? You hate America. Fine. Find out how great Russia is. She's probably already reconsidering, I would think, about how wonderful America is and how uh, unwonderful Russia is. I'm sure she is. Um, I don't. I think eventually there'll be some arrangement made to bring her back. I don't mind if they bring her back um, because I don't. I think you know whichever she had in her possession was yeah, permissible at least in many states. We don't. You know some states that have uh, legal marijuana. I don't want to have a vengeful and hateful element of thinking getting into the American, getting it becoming acceptable in America. A revenge or hatred towards some of her political views to be part of the calculation of whether or not we work to bring her back. I, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't waste much time on it in the Biden administration. I hope they can find a way to make a trade, a way to bring her back. I don't think we should refuse to try to help, but she doesn't deserve the sympathy and the outpouring that uh, she is trying to generate in America. And I do think for her, it would be a really, really great time for her to acknowledge, should she ever be released from Russia prior to serving her term, for, for her to acknowledge what a great country uh, America is and how sorry she is. She acted so disdainfully toward it. But, you know, the little point about you don't want to have our government making policy related to how we try to get people back who are in jail in foreign countries um, based on how much we hate or don't like, like or don't like their, poli their um, politics, because that could come back to bite us in other ways. So that's why I think about that story. I just really, for my uh, two cents. It wasn't really uh, worth a lot of time uh, to talk about in the show, but I did want to make that uh, tell you what I thought. Two last things in closing before I go to why it matters to you. Number one is, if you don't know, we're having the best imaginable summit you could imagine on Saturday, October 15th in Dallas. It's our third annual Women for Freedom Summit. We have great speakers and new speakers coming. I'll tell you about in a moment or next week. But our summit is a great, great opportunity to come together, talk about saving America. So if you'd like to come to the summit in Dallas, Saturday, October 15th, please go to americacanwetalk.org and you can buy sponsorships there. You can buy a ticket there. In fact, I'll just tell you, our surprise guest on Friday evening, our surprise, very special speaker will be Dr. Simone Gold the brilliant founder of America's Frontline Doctors and also the woman who stood up on January 6th is currently in federal prison in Florida 
is her first appearance after being in prison is to come speak at our summit, our very special Friday evening event for sponsors and speakers. So if you'd like to be a sponsor, get to hear Dr. Simone Gold, meet her, hear her story, what would happen. She's our special Friday night person. Love, love, love to have you there. Um, and also, I really encourage you, I want to remind you again that our show, the way we um, are set up, we have a show tomorrow, a great interview with Dr. Peter Bregan. Come back to me there. Yeah, a great interview with Dr. Peter Bregan um, for tomorrow's show. Then I'm taking one week off, and I'll be back my first show of the fall, and we are there for the duration. First show of the fall, Thursday, September 1st. Thursday, September 1st. We have in studio one of the most extraordinary, brave members of Congress, I've ever known, Congressman Louis Gohmert, who is just a stellar human being, uh, lawyer, thinker, patriot, uh, just, just an extraordinary guy. He'll be in studio with us, so be sure to mark your calendars and be ready to come to, to listen to the show. Uh, if you're in the, in the Dallas area and, and you're a member of America Can We Talk, love to have you join us in studio. You can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. And also, if you have a question for the first Wednesday after we're back, you can email me questions. I try to answer on Q&A Wednesday. You can email me questions at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. I do ask you to try to keep them kind of short because I get really... I'm going to turn and tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start our show today uh, with the first topic of Biden's six taxpayers with student loan debt. Loan forgiveness of any kind is not costless. It's not really about forgiveness. Somebody bears the burden of unpaid debt, and it's not the government. It's the American people who suffer inflation and cultural dysfunction while Biden seeks to win the youth vote. Student loan forgiveness is reinforcing and encouraging trends by which young people attending college are made completely impervious to the concept of personal responsibility. Not even a majority of U.S. children graduate from college. Many who attend college study soft ideology topics that have no path to earning money. Yet those who work, those who earn money without a college education, effectively pay off the debts of irresponsible college students who learn nothing of value. Nothing good will come out of Biden's college loan forgiveness action. Much bad, doubtful the president even has the constitutional authority to do this. We talk about no flying for you. Katie Hopkins speaks. Katie Hopkins sounded the alarm from the UK. Airline flight cancellations are not all about short staffing. Green New Deal climate alarmism agenda, all about curtailing freedom to drive and to fly. Not about going green, all about enforcing the new norm of going without. You must embrace this reality. Inflation Reduction Act mostly spends on green subsidies. Who knew? Americans must wake up to the radical agenda behind climate alarmism. Climate hysteria is ginned up on falsehoods. There is no climate crisis, period, full stop. But there's absolutely no limit on how totalitarian leftists intend to leverage this fear or alarmism to control people throughout the world. Americans must rise up and refuse to be governed by hysteria in any form. I want to take one more time to say thank you to Real News PR and the Real News Communication Network and Emilio Diaz, my producer, for enabling me to do this show from California uh, while we're out here visiting family. Be back in studio. Cannot wait. Uh, next Thursday, September 1st. Until then, we'll be running shows during my showtimes. I want to thank you, our listeners. I thank you for every really kind comment you leave on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, I appreciate the emails you send me. I appreciate the messages. People send me great links all the time. I can't even keep up with all the people sending me stories and links and saying, do you want to talk about this? I, I really hope you feel this is a conversation we have every day about America. It's the entire reason I do this show. The entire reason I engage in this effort every day to talk to you is to stand up and speak up for America, the most extraordinary blessing of, for any people in all of human history is the idea of America. I do this show because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you hear?